uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. And Sunday morning, we're involved in a topical series through the book of Proverbs uh, entitled Timeless Wisdom. If you're with us here today and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of the guys coming up the aisles right now. They'll give you a Bible marked to the spot so you can hear the Word, but you can read it as well. If you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible yours uh, today. A single verse uh, to start us this morning, Proverbs chapter 10, um, verse 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your wisdom. We live in a, in a world and in circumstances that are so marked by a lack of wisdom, to see the casualties that that makes of nations and makes of individual people is heartbreaking. We thank you that you have not left us in this world, not only without wisdom, but without your wisdom in order to navigate what it is that we find ourselves in the middle of and to do it not only safely and securely, but to do it fruitfully and to make life the blessing that you intend it to be. We pray that this certain aspect that we'll look at today of your wisdom, you would give us ears to hear what you speak to this subject, and Lord, that you would implement this aspect of your wisdom into each one of our lives in an even deeper measure. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Remember that the subject of the book of Proverbs is the subject of wisdom. And it teaches us how to live a life that uh, in what is lived wisely and that it is a, uh, a life that is lived to bless God, a life that blesses other people, and a life that is also a blessing uh, to us. And this morning we turn our uh, attention to a subject that um, Solomon writes about very, very often in the book of Proverbs, and that is the subject of integrity and the importance of, our, of living our lives marked by personal integrity. But we better start with what integrity is. The Hebrew word that Solomon uses for integrity in uh, chapter 10, verse 9, it means completeness or fullness, and uh, interestingly enough, um, integrity. And uh, our English word integrity really captures the meaning perfectly. Uh, one definition of it, a good one, would be the state of being whole and undivided, being integrated. Our English word integrity comes from uh, the Latin adjective integer, and uh, int integer means whole or complete or undivided, and in, in mathematics an integer is a whole number as opposed to a fraction, uh, a fraction being incomplete in a sense. And so integrity occurs when two or more things are combined in such a way uh, that they become a complete whole. And so there are no loose ends, uh, everything is kind of seamlessly united 
There are no uh, contradictory or contending uh, parts, which helps us, I think, to understand what Solomon is advocating here in his use of the word and calling us to a life of personal uh, integrity, of personal wholeness and uh, undividedness. He calls us to live a life here of moral goodness and to live that life to such a degree that my entire life is lived toward um, that, uh, united toward that goal where I'm not living a life of moral conflict in which one part of my life is governed by uh, one morality, uh, one uh, set of definitions of right and wrong, and then another part of my life is governed by a different morality and so forth. And such a life will never experience wholeness or unity, uh, but rather it will experience what is the uh, exact opposite of integrity, and that is uh, disintegration and the process of coming to pieces. Because any two contrary definitions of moral goodness in our lives are going to be at war within our lives. They will of necessity fragment our lives and split our lives. And so inevitably my life will fragment on some level. It will begin to unravel on some level because I'm attempting to live life in service uh, to two contrary definitions of moral goodness. And so my emotional, my uh, physical, my mental, my spiritual uh, life is going to lack cohesion. I'll be at war with myself internally, and thus my emotional and mental and physical and spiritual strength will never be invested fully in one direction. It'll never be united in one great goal uh, within our lives and in the direction of moral goodness. And as a result, I will never experience the blessing of moral goodness or moral integrity in my life. And this doesn't just apply to the ungodly in the world, but it applies to the godly. It applies to Christians. And after all, Solomon, when he writes uh, the book of Proverbs, in the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, it is, he is writing something that has an application to everyone in the world, saved or unsaved, but he's writing principally uh, to God's people. And uh, his focus is on those who know God. So what he's describing in one that is, lacks this integrity is the kind of Christian who uh, is often described as having a divided heart or a divided life uh, or of having too much of the world uh, to be content with God and too much of God to be content uh, in the world. And this failure to fully surrender to God's ways and His plan for my life is not only a miserable condition, it is to live a life in, in constant internal conflict and division within our lives. So not only is it a miserable way to live, but it's also an affront to God in the life of, of any Christian. Jesus addressed the impossibility of anyone, 
no matter how crafty we might be or how smart we might be or how clever we may think we be, might be, no one can serve two masters in life. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. One moral uh, definition of moral goodness will prevail ultimately uh, in each of our lives. Elijah exhorted the nation of Israel in the same vein as they were at Mount Carmel for that great showdown uh, between the Lord and, and Elijah, his instrument, and uh, all of the prophets of Baal. And he cried out to the nation uh, of Israel. And Elijah came to all of the people and he said, how long will you falter bet between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Uh, if Baal is God, then follow him. And so he says, how long will you falter between two opinions? The word falter means to be lame. Anybody that tries to live life uh, following two opinions, uh, two master passions in our life, or two different contradictory uh, uh, definitions of moral goodness is not going to be able to make any significant or meaningful progress on the path of either morality, and it's to live a morally lame life, a spiritually lame life. Joshua declared, not to pagans, uh, but to God's people at the, uh, in Joshua chapter 24, now therefore fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Uh, and uh, whether it, the gods which your fathers served when they were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, Jesus declared uh, to the young man who came, the rich young ruler who came to him uh, and asked him how it is that he might uh, enter into heaven. Uh, Jesus asked him what his uh, assessment of, of the great, uh, the, he then asked Jesus what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord God, the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And so often as we read that, our mind, uh, the supreme focus of our mind is upon heart, mind, soul, and strength. But uh, there's a very important word that precedes each of those parts of our lives as Christians, and it's the word all. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And there is not to be any moral fragmentation or disintegration or divided heart uh, in anyone, any Christian's relationship with God. It doesn't mean that we'll always be perfect. Uh, or, or that we won't fall short in life. None of us will be perfect. 
until we enter into the glory of heaven one, uh, one day. But it does mean that we will have made a full commitment to living life uh, as God declared that we are to live life. And, uh, and we're not to deliberately be living a life day after day with a divided heart toward God uh, and in terms of our personal integrity or, or a life of moral goodness. Now, if Solomon is advocating a life of integrity, a life of full commitment to moral goodness, then that raises the question, where in the world can we find the definition of moral goodness that I am to integrate my life into? What is, where am I going to find the definition of moral goodness that I can get behind and as a result of obeying that will integrate my life, will make my life whole, will make my life safe and secure and keep it from fragmenting uh, internally and externally. And the answer to that, of course, is I'm to integrate my life fully into God's definitions of moral goodness as they're found in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, Solomon wrote, Every word of God is pure. Uh, Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace uh, of, the, of the earth, purified seven times. During Jesus' public ministry, he declared himself to be the chief cornerstone. And in declaring himself to be the chief cornerstone, he was referencing a prophecy made by the prophet Isaiah concerning uh, the coming Messiah. And Isaiah declared of this coming Messiah, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. It's a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. There may uh, be one or two of us in this room uh, that Leon Patello singing this comes into our uh, mind. Uh, and also, Isaiah said, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet and uh, the uh, hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. The Holy Spirit enlarged upon this imagery of Jesus as uh, the chief cornerstone uh, through the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And Paul wrote there, beginning in verse 19, I'll read it to you. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and uh, prophets, Jesus himself uh, being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, that's integrity, uh, uh, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God uh, in the Holy Spirit. 
And he likens the church, that is uh, church with a capital C, the, the church universal, all Christians, all at once in, in uh, the world and in history. He likens us to a spiritual dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he likens this temple of the Holy Spirit, this spiritual temple of God, he likens it in that passage to a physical building in order to communicate by means of construction imagery to communicate spiritual truths. That just as in a physical building, the cornerstone is the most important stone in the building. It is the very first stone in the ancient world that was laid in the building of a building. And so, too, we have the privilege of making Jesus as Christians the most important part of our life and, and a necessity for integrity. And then just as every other stone in the building uh, was laid in relationship to the cornerstone and every building, every uh, uh, block in a building in the ancient world, it was built in relationship to the cornerstone. It possessed a relationship with the cornerstone. So too as Christians, each of us is in a living relationship with Christ. And then related to that cornerstone imagery, that just as every other stone in a physical building uh, was measured off of the cornerstone, it was placed in alignment with the cornerstone, so too as Christians each of us are to measure every part of our lives off of uh, Jesus Himself and the example that He gave us and His teaching. And of course, the entirety of the Word of God uh, testifies uh, to Jesus. And so to measure every part of our life off of Jesus' life, to make Him our standard for our speech, standard for our actions, for our thinking, uh, for our motives, and for our attitudes. And as I do so, as I make Jesus that, that example in my life and the Word of God that testifies uh, to Jesus, and I make it the moral and the practical standard of my life, my life becomes uh, integrated uh, as a result. Uh, integration isn't something that we aim at. It's something that happens as that becomes uh, Jesus' example and the Word of God becomes the standard for our morality and for our practice, what we believe in the life that we uh, live. And then as a result of that, our life becomes uh, fully integrated. It becomes a life of integration, integrity. So we live a life of integrity as we are born again by the Holy Spirit, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And we then enter into a personal relationship with God. And then we make the Bible, we make Jesus Himself uh, the moral standard of our life. And then we live that life that we see described, the Christian life, on the pages of Scripture, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who does this marvelous thing 
where he not only authored the Bible, brought it into existence in human history, but then for the person who trusts in Christ and is born again, he then provides us with the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure a desire to obey the life that we see in Scripture. Nobody puts us in a headlock and forces us. This isn't some grind in a person's uh, life. It is something that He, by His Holy Spirit, puts it within us, a desire to live such a life, and then the power to live the life that we desire uh, to live. And it's just that simple. And as that happens in a person's life, all of these blessings uh, of this integrity then become a part of our lives. And if you're not a Christian yet uh, here this morning, and you've tried everything else in life in order to try and find stability in life, to try and find a place that is safe for you physically and emotionally and morally, and, and mentally and spiritually, and, uh, and you've almost given up hope uh, of living a life uh, that blesses God and blesses your fellow man and is a blessing uh, to you. This morning, what God wants you to know is that it's found in a life of integrity. It's found in a life that is made whole by putting our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and then living entirely for Him. And as we do that then, our entire life becomes united in that. We experience the full integration of heart, mind, soul, and strength toward one goal. And the reason it's so satisfying is that every single human being has been created for that relationship with God. And so it isn't like we're trying, to, we're trying to accomplish all of this by doing something other than what we've been created for. We were created for relationship with God. We will never know the full integration of heart, mind, soul, and strength to have all of it united and, and, and well-directed, which being well-directed is necessary for it to be united until we're engaged in that relationship. And then everything given uh, to that relationship, which again the Holy Spirit provides that desire to us. And when that occurs, then personal integrity becomes uh, this uh, uniting of our life in a way that nothing else can in life. And thus Solomon writes repeatedly of the blessings of integrity in life in the book of Proverbs. Uh, to our passage here this morning, Proverbs 10 verse 9, he who walks with integrity walks securely but he who perverts his way will become known. So here Solomon describes a life lived with integrity before God and integrity before man. Uh, as, described, as that's described in God's Word, Solomon describes it as a safe life and a secure life. And we noted earlier in our series in the book of Proverbs that when God created the heavens and the earth, He created them not only to be governed by physical laws like gravity, 
but the world that he created, the universe that he created is equally uh, governed by moral and spiritual laws. Uh, and, and as I cooperate uh, with those laws, and I have the freedom to either cooperate with them or to rebel against, uh, against them, and I can cooperate with those laws for my good, or I can uh, try and rebel against those spiritual and moral laws to my own harm. It's interesting in verse 9, you notice that the passage does not specifically say that God will intervene for our security if we live with integrity, or that He will actively judge those who live under a perverted or a crooked or a sinful uh, uh, morality. God does that. We know that from the rest of the Scriptures. He can do that. He does do that. One day He's going to do it in human history in an ultimate sense. But even far below God's intervention in a human life, here you have the, uh, the natural law of retribution. And that is to try to live against God's, uh, what God describes as the moral and the spiritual life that we're intended uh, to live. That nature will judge us. Creation will judge us. Life will judge us. Quite apart from the judgment of God. And so we can no more ignore the moral laws that God has built into creation without doing harm to ourselves than we can ignore the physical laws like gravity and do harm to our, uh, ourselves. And again, these spiritual and moral laws, these commandments are laid out for us in the commands and instruction of God in the Bible. And it's the way that we have been created to live. And as we obey them, we're not only living in right relationship with God and with our fellow man, but we're living in right relationship with the entirety of creation uh, all around us. And it's obedience to God's Word that allows us to walk securely in life. A passage that I, I love in this regard is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8. Let me read it to you. A highway shall be there, Isaiah writes, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. And whoever walks the road, uh, although a fool, shall not go astray. And the highway of holiness is the moral and the spiritual path that we put ourselves on as we obey God's commandments and His instruction in life. But the part that I really like about that passage is that even if a person is a fool, uh, in other words, not that bright, he can uh, walk on that path and never be led astray. Even a fool who chooses, one who isn't that bright in life, who chooses to live as God has called us 
to live is going to enjoy life as God has intended it to be enjoyed and going to experience security and safety in life. And I don't know about you, but I've got a fool I live with every single day. And the worst thing is, is he's not just an intellectual or a mental fool. He is a moral fool. A moral fool. And someone who is so broken and fallen as you and I are, that there is a path that we can come to in life, the path of God's Word. And no matter how broken or messed up or unbright we are in life, there's a path that we can walk on that is blessed and a path that's secure and a path uh, that is, uh, is uh, safe. And making the point that living a life marked by security and safety and confidence and peace is not determined supremely by intelligence, but by integrity, by living a life of simple integrity before God. To live a life based upon God's Word will bring anyone into a quality of life that we would never know otherwise. Any quality of life based solely on intelligence, but not founded in morality, not founded in godly principles, moral goodness as, as God uh, defines it. Even the fool who obeys God's Word will live higher than the smartest person in the whole world living uh, under the definitions, uh, different definitions of morality and right and wrong. People talk about marrying up in life. I certainly did. But we talk about that as an expression in our culture, ending up with a husband or a wife that makes everyone uh, around them wonder how in the world such a thing happened. How did he get her? And not just physically, but I mean it's in terms of personality and gifting and all. How did she get him? And the same thing is true of life is those who are merely intelligent in life, but they're not morally good. And I think that so often they can wonder at the quality of life that others enjoy who are far less intelligent than they are. And they look at their life and it's a mystery to them. And the mystery is because they're living a life based upon and on the path of God's morality and His definitions of, of right and wrong. You look at how can that person be so blessed? How can they get so much further ahead in life? How can they than I have? How can they have the quality of relationships in their life almost uh, universally? And I can't find one person of that quality in my life and wonder how does that happen uh, in, when the person might feel that I'm ten times smarter than they are. And it's because they're living a life that is a moral life, obedient to God's Word. And that will always take us further in life, 
infinitely further in life than mere intelligence that is invested in a wrong morality. And so moral goodness, living life based upon God's commandments will take a person much further in life than mere intelligence. And as the bride of Christ, which is what we are as Christians, all of us have very much married up in life and coming into relationship with Him. Solomon doesn't stop there. He contrasted a life of integrity, a life lived wholly and entirely for God uh, with the person who chooses to live a perverted life, a morally crooked life, a life of sin. The person who lives a life of integrity lives without any fear that uh, some part of their life is going to be uh, discovered or uncovered uh, by others. While the morally crooked live with the constant fear, Solomon says, that their activities will be uncovered and will be discovered. It's a terrible, terrible way to live. When a person is living in integrity, and it's a great test for whether I'm living in integrity or not, present tense at the moment. When a person is living in integrity, they're not concerned that, uh, uh, that anyone would discover anything about their lives. The hope is that they would discover everything about uh, their life because they know what they would find. But the person without integrity, uh, that person uh, always, there is those things in which... Uh, we don't want those things to be uh, discovered, and there's that constant fear, and it is a terrible way to live. In 1965, a movie came out, and many movies like it have uh, followed in this kind of genre, and the movie came out, and it was entitled, I Saw What You Did. I Saw What You Did. And the subtitle is, And I Know Who You Are. And it's about two teenage girls who, while they were babysitting, they were bored and they decided to make these random prank phone calls uh, telling uh, whoever answered the phone, I saw what you did and I know who you are. Unfortunately for them, one of the people that they called was a man who had just murdered his wife and buried her in the woods. And he became convinced that they knew his secret and determined to find out their identity and then to murder them in order to hide his secret. Now, I'm not recommending the movie uh, or any of the variations of the movie that have uh, come out, uh, you know, exploring the same kind of plot line. But it is interesting to me that all of these movies are marketed as horror films. Why would they market it? them as horror films, except that every one of us recognizes that to live a life of guilt and fear of discovery due to a lack of a life of integrity is a horrible fear to live under um, in, uh, in life. And why are these films always being made? There's always one of them in circulation on an annual basis in, in the United States, except that there are enough people uh, who can relate 
to the horror that it would be to potentially have the deepest secrets of a perverted, moral, crooked life exposed. And there's something about, I want to go someplace and be scared to death tonight, and the, the most terrifying thing that I can think about is not some guy with a mask and a chainsaw, but having uh, my hidden life discovered and be made known and, and uh, be exposed. Now, because a, a life that lacks integrity always requires hypocrisy, it always requires hiding and acting in order to keep it hidden, and acting in life, changing from one character to another, as a way of life is a very demanding way to live. And it's a very, very exhausting way to live. I mention it every once in a while, but you think about how much people can begrudge these actors and actresses that make uh, so much money in the acting uh, industry and all of that kind of thing. I never begrudge anyone that makes money in an honest, in an honest uh, uh, way. But the reason that they make so much money is because acting is hard work. And they only do it for a portion of uh, a day uh, during the duration of the filming of a movie. And then after the movie is over, they then take time to recover from the demands of that uh, that were required and before taking on an, another film. And their acting is not a lifestyle. Um, it's something that is compartmentalized um, in their life. And the greater the distance that exists between what I actually am inside and what I portray myself to be, uh, it, 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 then the greater the acting that is required and the greater the emotional and physical and mental and spiritual disintegration that will occur as a result when compared to a life of integrity. Personal integrity means that our public and private lives are integrated. There's no inconsistency in terms of how I represent myself publicly in life and how we conduct ourselves uh, privately in life. And when those two things, my public and my private life, are fully integrated in, in, a, in, a, in a moral way, there is a security and there's a peace and there's a safety to such a life. And there's a boldness and a confidence that comes with that kind of life that only uh, those with integrity will ever experience. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1 speaks to this. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. In other words, they're not always, the righteous are not always looking over their shoulder, wondering when the next shoe is going to drop, wondering when the secret is going to be made known, wondering when this is going to catch up to me. And all of that kind of baggage, all of that kind of uh, fragmenting inf uh, impact in a life is completely removed and the person is able then to fully enjoy life to enjoy a sunrise, a sunset, to enjoy a relationship. And no one can immerse into the joys of life fully from a fragmented uh, condition. 
So the blessing of integrity in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, if you just turn a page over in your Bibles, if that's necessary, Solomon writes on this subject, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So when we live a life of integrity based upon God's Word, and then we hit all of these temptations in life, we hit all of these complexities in, uh, in, in life, and, and life is an absolute maze of temptations and complexities, we can bring all of those things then to God's Word and for His Word to make the decision about what path we ought to take and to do that decision by decision and we'll never be disappointed by His guidance. We'll never be disappointed, never be disappointed. And the life that integrity produces within us. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Here he is, this young man. God gives him these great promises concerning his life. They're so great that his family laughs at him that they could ever be true of, of, of him. And, uh, and as he has all of these great promises, many, many temptations, complexities, many years of personal decisions are going to occur between the giving of those promises and the fulfillment of those promises, and it was his integrity that kept him on track, kept him on track for God's uh, plan for his life and, and all that God wanted to do through his life. And it was his integrity that God was a means by which God guided him through all of those things that looked to destroy the good thing that God wanted to do in his life. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 6, I'll give you three seconds to get there. It's not just one page over. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. It's important to understand that Solomon here in this Proverbs, he is not contrasting the poor and the rich as such, because there are many, many rich people who live a life of integrity, and there are many, many poor people who do not live a life of, of integrity. Solomon tells us that when we're forced to choose between maintaining our personal integrity at the cost of being materially poor or becoming rich at the expense of our personal integrity, then to choose to maintain our personal integrity, whatever the cost. And Solomon is telling us that living a life of integrity is far more valuable than being materially rich uh, without it. And living a life of personal integrity makes us rich in joy, rich in peace, rich in confidence in our relationship with God, rich in confidence in our relationship with, with, uh, with other uh, people, and rich in a clear conscience. And those are the things that are priceless in life. 
Those are things you do not buy with money, no matter how much money. Those are the things that come uh, not in that way and on that path alone, but upon a path of integrity. Job voiced his, all of this to perfection. And Job, after he's lost all of his material wealth, he's lost all of his possessions, and he declares to his so-called friends or his so-called comforters, Job chapter 27, verse 3, as long as my breath is in me and the breath of God is in my nostril, nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. In other words, their claim that it was secret sin in his life that caused these problems. He said, till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and I do, will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. And anybody that would look at what Job said there in that situation, having lost everything he had, except his wife, who he might not have really had a trouble with losing her. Inside joke, if you know the story of Job. He's lost everything in, uh, in life, certainly materially speaking, and yet he holds on to his integrity. And someone could look at that as just, that, that's just fanaticism. That's, that is, that's, that's misguided. And anybody that would do that is a person who has never, ever experienced the powerful, beautiful, irreplaceable thing that personal integrity brings to our lives. It makes us rich in a way that nothing else in life can make us rich. One final passage. And I'll have you go to the left this time, to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. And here we learn that when we live a life of integrity, it will remain influential in the world long after we're gone, uh, long after we enter into uh, the glory of heaven. And it will live on most importantly in the impact that it has had uh, upon uh, our children, if we have children. And such a person not only gets to experience the blessings of a life of integrity themselves, but they also, Solomon says, leave uh, that heritage to their children in the form of providing a child. You look at the, the moral anarchy of the world that we live in, the moral abyss that is destroying so many lives. And here you have a father or a mother who leaves this blessing of an example of a, a life of integrity to their children. And, a, and, and such a person 
uh, is, it passes that on to their children in the form of providing them with a good example in life that they got to watch up close through all the highs and the lows of life. It's wonderful to read a book on integrity. It's a much better thing to read a book but then to see it in a human life, especially in a life that is so uh, formative, a relationship in life as a parent. And then the wonderful thing that uh, the person with integrity has the blessing of knowing they've provided their child with a godly heritage. And then in blessing them, a child with parents who, because of their integrity, allow them to think of their parents for the rest of their lives and even after they're gone with an unqualified respect. Not because their parents were perfect. No parent is perfect. But because they got to see in them a sincere love for God and a sincere endeavor to live for Him in this world. And this proverb here in chapter 20, verse 7, it warns us not to fall for a temptation and a lie that is prevalent within our culture, and that is the temptation to compromise our integrity as parents in order to give our children a better life materially, and to be deceived into thinking that we can ever give them something greater than a father or a mother that they can respect in life and be proud of. People used to say uh, to someone who was going sideways in life, you need to get your life together. <laughs> and, uh, and that's wonderful advice uh, on some level. Um, but only God can do that in a human life in any kind of complete way to integrate our life to unite our life to this kind of security and safety and this kind of uh, sanctified, holy focus within life that is good for God, it is good for us, it is good for everybody uh, uh, around us. And he does it by giving us his instruction uh, in his word of how our lives are to be lived, a definition of what integrity looks like in the form of the Bible, and then by giving us someone to orient our life to on a daily basis and become a fully integrated person as a result in Jesus Himself, and then by supplying us with both the will to do and the power to do of God's good pleasure by the Holy Spirit. He's thought of everything. He has provided everything for a life of integrity for every single human being in this world. If you're a Christian here this morning and you are deliberately living with a divided heart, Solomon calls on you to repent, whether on the basis of his instruction here in the book of Proverbs or on the basis of the warning uh, 
from the scriptures that I read earlier in the passage or on the basis of seeing in your own life privately the knowledge of the terrible price that you are paying heart, mind, soul, and strength to live that divided life. And to ask yourself, to ask ourselves, if our time in God's Word spent on this uh, subject of integrity this morning, if reading God's Word and studying it and hearing it is not enough to produce that repentance, and if I force God to raise the volume in order to get my attention, then what might that look like? And somebody can protest and say, now you're using fear. But Solomon anticipates, and he deflects that protest elsewhere in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And a deliberate lifestyle of a lack of integrity in a Christian always has its roots, always has its roots, and a fundamental absence of a fear of God in my life. And someone may think to uh, themselves at this point in the sermon, why would you have to go and do this? We were having such a nice sermon until now. But if you were about to head out the door after looking at the passages that we've looked at today, not my words, God's Word, and to head out the door in a divided, uh, compromised condition to the, car, to the car and head out as fully committed to it as ever you or I came uh, into uh, the room then an application like this needs to be made. For those of us who, uh, in the old proverbial joke about the donkey who needed to be hit with a two-by-four in order to get his attention, and so you're welcome. You're welcome. How many more casualties do we need to see in life? Is it really necessary for us to make a casualty of our own on top of all of the rest? What a wonderful, wonderful thing, safe thing, secure thing, perfect thing, priceless thing that this integrity is that God calls us to. The life we were intended to live. And if you're here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, we're going to be up in front immediately after the service and we'd love to pray with you to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and then to be born again and then to have this life now begin to unfold to you going forward. No more fragmenting. No more falling to pieces. No longer your life being uh, a victim of all of the different moralities in our own noggins or in the world. 
but now to come into a life where everything fits perfectly and is exactly the way you're intended to live. And the God who created you is the only one who knows what that life is and it's waiting for you. And it's just a prayer away. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege of living a life of integrity. Who but you, our Creator, could know us so well as to provide us with moral instruction and commandments that are so perfect and so integrate our life toward you and make us whole in a way that we never thought we could experience in this life. Thank you for the instruction of your word. Thank you for our Savior that brings us into such a life. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit that continues to draw us deeper and deeper into such a life. And we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike, would you close us?